Welcome, everybody. You are on Get Wrecked with Straw Hat Goofy. I am here with Susan Egan, who you may know as the voice of Meg from Hercules. She's also been in many other things as a voice actress, actress. She's been on the Broadway stage. She was in Steven Universe. She's played Belle. She's also was in a couple of Studio Ghibli flicks like Poco Rosso or a little like Oscar winning flick that you may never heard of called Spirited Away. Like there's so many like credits to her name, but I'm also here with an animation legend. I'm here with Eric Goldberg, who is a lead animator for one of, if not your favorite Disney character, Genie, also a lead <laughs> animator on what the very subject of this episode, which is a Hercules episode, Phil, a.k.a. Philatides, the trainer of heroes. Eric Goldberg has also worked with Walt Disney Animation. He's worked with Warner Brothers. He also had a one-liner as Bugs Bunny. So, like, he does everything, which is amazing. But we're super excited to get started to talk about our favorite Disney animated movie to work on. My favorite Disney animated movie of all time, if you couldn't tell, for those watching on YouTube. But first, let's play that track. Welcome to Get Wrecked with Straw Hat Goofy. Wake up, Juju. Time to go to work. <laughs> all right. Can we talk about it? Wake up, I get it, I get it, I go with everyone saying I'm up next. It's not my fault that the vocals are gold, I'm making the haters so upset. My life is a movie, the way that I roll, they saying I'm goofy, but baby, you know I'm making everybody upset, cause we the best, how we get wrecked, and I know. You want to you want to know the funny thing about that is that I've always wanted a theme song. Like, you know, I've like like I've always wanted to walk in with a theme song. Like, I've been jealous of you Susan because you have a theme song kind of, you know, that I'm sure plays every time you walk into a room. Oh, if only that would be hilarious, wouldn't it? Like, yes. That would be I great. go to the parent teacher conference and there it is. Ah! <laughs> Look, <laughs> if I worked at that school, that's exactly what I would do. <laughs> But once again, everybody, welcome to Get Wrecked with Stride Goofy. Once again, I'm here with Susan Egan and Eric Goldberg, uh, two of the leads. I would say lead of everything. We have a lead starlet and a lead animator for uh, that movie. And honestly, like we can get into the legacy of this movie day in and day out because I feel like for me, it's my favorite Disney movie of all time. And just to show you, because I know you're checking my shirt, I'm going to go grab something that I got the day that we actually it was the weekend that we both met. Susan, I met you this weekend and Eric met you this weekend as well at D23. Give me like literally five <laughs> seconds to show you. Okay. What could it be? We'll time you. What do you think it is, Eric? I'm not oh, sure. Oh, it's going to be. There oh, we go. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. The whole vase with all the muses. This is amazing. Absolutely. I'm really excited about this. <laughs> what a great. <laughs> Yeah, so let me put it back before I drop it because I do have, like, I, I already, like, broke the shield off of one of their uh -huh. hands. <laughs> I would like to play my daughter, but it wasn't light. her. I love it. I've not seen that one before. That's, it's so All righty. But, yes, that's we just one of the many... More merchandise today for Hercules than there was in 1997, Eric. Don't you feel like <laughs> You're right. Renaissance of Hercules right now. Look, I, I, love it. I remember, Eric, I was telling her, uh, and I don't know if I told you this when we uh, met that one time, but I worked at Disneyland myself for five years. 
And this mm-hmm. was from 2012 to 2017. And I was always saying every single day, because I worked in stores where all the merchandise was. And I kept saying, where's the Hercules love? Where, like, where is it? And now since I've left and, you know, since Hercules has kind of gained more of a following in, in popularity, I'm so happy to see like all the Hercules, like merch and love. I have like three to four lounge fly bags of Hercules. I know, it's, Too, in it, like a cabinet. They're so beautiful. This is. I still have original Hercules T-shirts that we wore to the premiere. What? <laughs> and Barry, I have Phil Bubble Bath. Um, <laughs> Wait, what? I have the OG Barbie doll. <laughs> oh my! Wow. So you guys got OG like memorabilia from that time. That's awesome. Has anybody tried to buy it off you yet? Oh, it's what? Maybe a dollar fifty. You're making an offer? <laughs> no, maybe. I'm not. I'm not gonna lie, because to have like a Meg piece, like from the original time, like I would absolutely love that. Actually, that would be dope. But I don't think she did too well at the time. Now her skirt gets taller, you know, long and short. That was the trick. Oh, that's cool. Ah. that's really cool. Eric, I will totally take you up on that. Get, his belly gets bigger and smaller. <laughs> <but>. <laughs> Look, you joke about that, but I would probably buy that toy. I would, I would probably buy that toy for sure. <laughs> My joke used to be back when I had a beard and I had a beard working on on uh, Hercules. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. Phil is short. He's bald. He has a beard. He's overweight. I don't know why they gave me this character. So. <laughs> you know, it's funny it's because like he definitely looks like Danny DeVito who voices the character, but... Did, did you ever get to meet Danny or when you animated the character? Was this just kind of like, I got to make him look like Danny or Dan, like what, what was the process of kind of like animating that character and then relating that to Danny as well? And did you joke about the well, fact that it was you and him it, as one character? I mean, well, we're both short guys, first of all. So anytime we were in a recording session together, they tried to have photo ops. Here's the two short guys, the voice <laughs> and the animator, you know, <laughs> and, and I did get to go to all of the recording sessions, and he was great. Um, you know, one thing when you're working with, with certain actors, they just nail mm-hmm. a line reading first time out, you know, and Danny was just like that. He, you know, he had such great comic instincts. Um, and, you know, surprisingly, I'm not, I'm not kidding, I designed the character to feel like, well, my first designs were like, uh, Louis De Palma with horns. Mm. Uh, <laughs> I like, I liked him in Taxi, and okay, he's playing a satyr, so that nice. kind of tracks. <laughs> and uh, and eventually, you know, we had Gerald Scarf, the British illustrator, come in mm. and help us with character designs. So my my drawings became more Scarfian, uh, and eventually we got Phil. Uh, and um, you know. It wasn't too hard. It wasn't too big a stretch for me to get into the character because right. I can be a grouch a lot of the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it's just like an easy transition for you. I love that. That's yeah. awesome. Now, I have a question for the both of you because like we t- when we talk about the eras of Disney, right, you have kind of like the time where Disney started with Snow White and Sleeping Beauty and Cinderella and those classic films during that period. But then I feel like there's the Disney Renaissance 
right? And I, I'm sure you're aware of what is known as the Disney Renaissance, which is the stretch of films from a lot of people will say The Little Mermaid. I would like to say it's like The Rescuers Down Under. But, you know, The Little Mermaid uh, to, I believe, like the 99. I can't remember what came out in 99. I want to say maybe like Tarzan, which is probably 97. But were you aware that you were in a Disney Renaissance while working on these films? Was it kind of a, okay, we got Lion King out, we got Beauty and the Beast out, we're doing Hercules now, we all have to be on our A-game. Was there an awareness of that time period? What do you think, Eric? Were you aware? Well, I, I think that we weren't aware that we were part of a movement, let's put it that way, mm. but I think we were aware that our films were popular. And you know, for somebody like me who's been in the business a long time, uh, many of us never expected it to be popular again, animation right. being popular. Um, you know, it, it took a kind of nosedive in the 70s and the 80s. So when the 90s came around, you know, all of a sudden, and particularly <laughs> Disney animated films, became popular again and yeah. so we we felt buoyed up by that that was great you're working on something that people love to go and see uh and many of us old timers didn't expect that to ever happen again at mm. disney animation or elsewhere right. but now animation is very very healthy so that's great that's great. Like you can you can almost look at that time period and like you've already kind of said it, like Disney films were popular again. You could say that was what kind of reinvigorated Disney because I remember and I was born in 92, but like as a student of film and a student of Disney, I remember during that time Disney wasn't making necessarily bad films, but some of those films to the public were just kind of not necessarily what they were used to, like The Black Cauldron, for instance, or The Great Mouse Detective and those type of things. It was different than, you know, the... Pinocchios and the Peter Pans and those type of things a lot darker but then Disney gets to this place where it's like a marriage between like mature themes like Lion King which is Hamlet with lions and then and then you have Mulan which has like some of the best like anti-war messages like ever put to film and then you have Hercules which to me and you know this is I've I've made this joke with you Eric when we first met and I'll get into it a little bit later but to me it's like a black man hearing kind of like the gospel kind of like score and tracks and things that I've heard that sounds a lot like how I grew up in the in the black church back in the day. It just felt like something different and something new and something fresh, even as a child. And so yeah. I, I just living during that time and looking back at that time, I get to say I was an audience member during the Disney Renaissance. And I was like, like some could say the target art audience of that because I was only maybe 92. Yeah, I was like eight years old during that period. So it's 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 really cool to like witness that and look back on it and say wow like that was actually a time to be alive in the in the history of film uh susan yeah. Our childhood was was the was the target yeah right yeah um pretty cool and what's cool now and why i think like there's even an uptick in in viewership of the movies from the 90s is that your target audience those kids that were eight when these movies came out are now in their mid-30s and reliving it again with their children mm. or getting that, what we talked about earlier, that touchstone, that nostalgia to their childhood. Um, and it really like goes to show how timeless these movies are and they find new audiences every five years. Like there's constantly a new generation. There's something about Disney animation in particular that is immediately timeless. You're part of something that's going to last long after I'm gone. Yeah. You know? Yeah. These will still and Eric's work will still exist and it will still be touching people in the same in the same way. 
No, trust me. I'm going to make sure of that Hercules is still like in the limelight because I, I don't miss an opportunity to talk about Hercules. Uh, I, I got you. I got you. <laughs> no, Susan, I want to know just kind of like you're you're part of the Disney heroine legacy. Right. And this is we're talking. It's a legendary legacy. We're talking Jody Benson as Ariel. We're talking, you know, Belle. We're talking Mulan. It's it's such a huge pantheon. And I always get a warm heart whenever I see you interact with the other Disney princesses. And it's just like... It really is like... And, and to talk about like something that you don't really know is going to be the case. Um, when I got Hercules, I was already doing Beauty and the Beast in mm -hmm. New York. So obviously I was already experiencing the success of this Disney renaissance in animation because they took you know this Oscar-nominated movie and they brought it to the stage just two years after it had premiered in the theaters. And I right. got to do it. So that was... Amazing. So I knew how special it was going to be to be in Hercules. Mm. Um, they draw from the Broadway community a lot. So I was already good friends with Jodie Benson just from the Broadway world. Mm. And so Jodie was like this sister who gave me all kinds of advice that I still follow, by the way. Like, don't, you know, like, don't ever let anybody else voice Meg. Even if it's the smallest little job, like always be the voice. Don't ever let them, because the moment they find a replacement, it'll be that person's job. Like just right, always right. maintain the integrity of the character, you know, and she to this day voices Ariel. Yeah. Um, she should. Yeah. Uh, but to be, what I didn't know was it would be to be a forever member in a family mm. that I'm at events and I'm just like kicking it with Judy Coon <laughs> and Lee Larkin and Jody and Paige O'Hara and it's like, and we, we call ourselves now the menopause, you know, <laughs> it's the menopause princesses, right? You know? Is that the name of the group um, chat? Is that the name of your group chat? But, but it's, I have such respect for these women or to go get to do an event with LaShawns and Lilius and mm -hmm. Cheryl Freeman and Roz and those women who literally held my hand during that recording session because I've never been so intimidated to be in a room, mm -hmm. right? These are the women I obsessed over on Broadway, like to see Cheryl, who's like from the, who's Tommy on Broadway. Like I'm right. like, okay. And then to see Lee Johns who just won a Tony award and see Lilius who's done everything. And I had just seen her in a show on Broadway. Like, um, and uh, you know, like they're still friends. That's cool. You know? and, and that's something that not every job gives you, mm -hmm. but there's something about a Disney job that, you never really, it's like the mafia. <laughs> I mean, it, 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 it's the mafia, the Disney mafia. <laughs> it's a good mafia. Yeah. I, I was thinking like when a new Disney princess kind of comes in, I could just imagine you and Jody and Paige just, and, uh, Tia, and you know, just Anika Nani Rose just all sitting in a chair, you know, Correct. you got, yeah. the, <laughs> you got the Godfather music going, welcome to the family. <laughs> Ralphish. Little Rick and like, Ralph, yeah. <laughs> the Ralph breaks the internet moment. <laughs> also because I'm Meg, right? So it's like I'm not the princess. I can be like the sarcastic. You could be the Ralph. you could be the hard Let's one. See how she knows with them. <laughs> <laughs> see now I kinda wanna like for those listening, if there, if if there's an artist out there among you, please can we get the Disney princesses as like part of like a mafia, like a princess mafia? I would love to see that. That would be amazing. Uh, so when it comes to like, you know, just the legacy and like the making of this film, uh, I just got to know, is there anything you can tell me about like any 
like hardships that it, when it came to getting this movie like out the door, whether it was like through animation, whether it was like maybe a line that was like kind of hard to say. Is there any stories you could kind of like bring up that like, you know, will enlighten people on just how hard it was to get Hercules made? I have a question for Wow. Um, they're, they're all hard. <laughs> they're all hard to get out the door. As I can in, imagine, in yeah. the case of Hercules, uh, you know, uh, we had people who were really looking after the deadlines, and they were worried that we weren't animating fast enough. And it's like, you know, they did what we call death of a thousand cuts in editorial, where mm. basically they shortened every scene by about four frames so they didn't have to ink and paint as much. Uh, mm. And it made the film a little choppier than it should have been. Let's put it that way. But really? we did finally get it done. Um, and it was a very enjoyable film to work on, you know, and I have to say it was enjoyable largely due to the directors, John Musker and Ron Clements, mm -hmm. who were Legends. fantastic. Yeah, And they have this great plant-the-tongue-in-the-cheek kind of tone to their films, which certainly Hercules has. It doesn't mean it doesn't have heart, but it, it has that extra adult level of satire. You know, oh, sometimes the satire didn't land. It's like, you know, they were satirizing the Disney stores with the Hercules I saw that with store. the merch. With the merch, yeah. <laughs> and, and several people said, oh, you're just making a, an advertisement for the Disney store. No. No. It's a satire. I, I, I love the Easter eggs in that in that store. Like, seeing, like, the little Beauty and the Beast kind of, like, figure. Like, the Beast figure. I said, like, oh, my God, that's really cool. And even, totally. you know, so that's that's some really cool stuff. You know, and I think I think given, you know, how important sports are i think that ran through through as to what makes a hero yes what really defines a hero is it a sports hero no it's somebody who gives of himself you know and and those are those are interesting things to play with i've also heard the teachers use the film you know to kind of introduce their students to greek it introduced me mythology yeah it doesn't have a hundred percent Okay. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, obviously some liberties are taken. They just <laughs> played it for my daughter's class, actually. They just played it for my daughter's class. Nobody in her class knows, right? Like mm. her connection to it. But she's like, Mom, they played Hercules. <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually the the daughter of of Meg. Like <laughs> technically she's part of the the canon <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> Her teachers would be like that. Sucks. But that Hercules was what But Hercules is what introduced me to Greek mythology. Like it, it's like I love Greek mythology and I love like like hearing about those stories. And uh, you know, it's not it's not necessarily Disney, but I've been playing the game God of War and I've been enjoying like that twist on the Greek panth pantheons and things of that sort. And so that's another reason why Hercules is so near and dear to my heart because it introduced me to characters like Zeus, Hermes, like Philatides, like just how that whole thing worked. And then when you hear about the real stories, you're like, Disney dark. definitely did. Yeah, yeah, but all Disney, prince, the princess stories are dark. The story of Pinocchio is very dark. So that's not yeah. necessarily, when people say, oh, it's not accurate to, yeah, no, none of them are. You know, <laughs> you know like Lion King is Hamlet, but it's less bloody. Let's just say that, <laughs> you know, so... <laughs> Um, yeah, I, I have a question for you, Eric. So it was interesting because at Beauty and the Beast, 
one night at the theater, we had a note on the call board that said Jeffrey Katzenberg had left the company. Now, Jeffrey was integral. Uh, Jeffrey and Michael Eisner were at every one of our rehearsals at Beauty and the Beast. Like we were their little pet project. And then, you know, Hercules started and that divorce happened right at the beginning of production with Hercules. Mm. And I heard that Ron and John had to quickly find animators that had left to go to DreamWorks and try and scramble and figure it out. Was, was there like chaos happening at the studio? I've always wanted to ask. Well, here's, here's what happened on my end, okay? I was in the middle of Pocahontas and I'm directing some of the animation. And uh, one of the animators comes in, his name is Bill Racinos. And he's got a scene of John Smith and his hair is flapping in the breeze, okay? Yeah. And they're standing on the prow of the Susan Constant. And I said to him, well, you better shave back John Smith's hair because uh, Jeffrey's got this thing about the length of John Smith's hair. They call me out into the hallway and they say, Jeffrey Katzenberg has left. I walk into Bill and I say, his hair is fine. You can leave it alone. <laughs> <laughs> Nice. <laughs> nice. True story. <laughs> but, you know, it, it it was a very strange thing for Jeffrey to have left in, right in the middle of that. And But, you know, we still got the film done and, mm -hmm. you know, went on to make more. You know, one thing, I, I again, I'm, I'm going to keep um, talking about John and Ron mm. because they're so much a part of why these movies are successful. One thing that they do, and I think they did particularly well in Hercules, is they'll take what you would call a trope from a classic Disney film and turn it on its head. Yeah, yeah. And I think they did that twice in Hercules. First, they did it with Meg. We've never seen yes. a Meg before. She's a tough gal with a heart of gold. We've never seen that character as the female lead. Mm -hmm. They did the same thing with Hades, and James Woods oh, was that. We've never seen a, a villain who's conceived as the world's worst William Morris age. Come on, come on, because I got plans for August. You know, <laughs> all that kind of stuff. Hades is my number you know, two favorite villain, and I love great. him. It's one thing that makes their stuff really fresh, you know, for, for many years after is, is these are all interesting takes on these mm -hmm. characters. Yeah. And I think that Ron and John never take themselves too seriously, right? But are also such fans, much like you, of the history of film. So, yeah, the source material is, is the mythology, right? Mm -hmm. Which they're going to adjust to Disney standards. But really, this was a 1930s, 40s screwball comedy. This was a Kate Hepburn, Spencer Tracy. This was, um, you know, the the description of Meg was Barbara Stanwyck from The Lady Eve. Like mm. there was, and then the script was so well written that if you understood the sources they were speaking of, you knew it was Lauren Bacall, you know? Right. You need me just you know how to whistle, don't you? You pucker up your lips and blow. Like it's a, it's a cadence to these old mobster girlfriends from all of those movies. Right, right. Which ironically, there were stronger female characters in early Hollywood mm -hmm. than there mm -hmm. were in the eighties, nineties, where everybody was just sort of a blonde bimbo. Yeah, those I can agree women, with that. The Davises, the Joan Crawfords, they were like thinking women. They were smart, and and Meg was that. 
and Meg was imperfect. I mean, I I liken Meg to be the only non-virgin Disney heroine. She had a string <laughs> of bad boyfriends. Yep, yep, she made yep. all kinds of wrong decisions. And she's the only female character that starts out on the bad side and turns good. To this day, there's no other character that makes that arc. Mm-hmm. Usually the girl characters are Belle. Like yeah. they're always on the side of good, right? And the beast makes that transition. Um, so it was really cool to get to be funny, to get to be sexy, to get to be these things without apology, to be flawed. Yeah. And then to have these one-liners that, that <laughs> the heroines never get. We're always the straight men. Like I, as Belle, I'm the straight man as every character I've ever played. And then Meg gets the punchlines. Like it was so great. Yeah. I, I, a snarky comment in the moment that in my own life, I walk away going, Oh, I should have said this. I should have said that. Well, Meg's <laughs> the one who says it in the moment. You know? I still, I still think about that scene. I love and- the animation. Yeah, it's 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 incredible. Go ahead. No, yeah, I'll say it's incredible because I still think about that scene where she said, I think it's the first first or third line she says to Hercules, where she says, "All right, Wonder Boy, it's been a real slice." And like, I was like, as a child, (laughs) I was like, that was cool. (laughs) I was just gonna bring it up. (laughs) And uh, great animation by Ken Duncan. Ken Duncan on that character. I mean, he really got her. You know, going slice. Yeah. (laughs) Also, also. Team effort, right? That scene works because Phil's so pissed off because Pegasus <laughs> is really annoyed to be overlooked in the moment mm-hmm. because Hercules is so gaga. And by the way, rightfully so, rightfully by, so. By it's hard to be the innocent and not be stupid, right? Mm-hmm. So Hercules is not unintelligent; he's just naive mm-hmm. and optimistic. That's a hard line to play. Yeah. Um, and he does it like James Stewart, which is what he was supposed to do, right? Yeah. And that's where John and Ron come in again in their direction of like, mm-hmm. it's Jimmy Stewart. There's something so likable about this guy. Yeah. Um, and he turns like Meg around because Meg is kind of like the bad girl that he shouldn't talk yeah. to, but it's his innocence that kind of brings her around over to him. For real and it's like yeah yeah he's actually he for real like she's talking about like hey you have any uh what she said you ha- you have any like brains of those rippling pectorals and he's just like oh well you know he's like he's like clark kent but in superman's body you know yes and that's what's smart too it's the screwball comedy it's also superman right it's mm-hmm. the same storyline as superman it's also the same storyline as rocky yeah right yep exactly um, yep. all of it in yeah. that's where phil fits in he's the coach he's the coach so so eric i i got yeah. so I, susan I, I know we talked about this eric we talked about this for sure i'm not sure if you remember but here's a little reminder uh you were drawing a nice little picture of me a nice little sketch of goofy in a straw hat thank you for that by the way i still have it to this day <laughs> and we were talking about uh like like from me, because I didn't know all these behind the scenes things, but this is me kind of watching the film and taking these things away as a black man. I was I was telling you, is Hercules black? Like, is Hercules black? Because there are so many things that make him the black man, right? I said, what is a what does most black people say when they make it out the hood? They're gonna buy their mama a house. He buys his mama a house with the with the carriage with the gold rims on it. Okay, number one. 
Number two, he gets a shoe deal, the Air Hercs, very similar to the Air Jordans. Number two, you literally see the Michael Jordan insignia on the side of the building. I said, oh, okay. And then I was like, okay, what was Michael Jordan's coach in the 90s when he was winning all those championships? Phil Jackson. How hilarious is it that you have all these Jordan references <laughs> and Phil is the name of his mentor <laughs> and everything you add into it the gospel music you add into it the muses you add into it just everything I said this Hercules like I identify with this man like I absolutely love it and when I talked to you you said well that, that, that's great and yeah what did you say when, when I asked I'm, you about I it I don't even remember what I said <laughs> you, you actually said it I, uh, earlier but you know do you remember what I said? <laughs> I do remember. I do remember what you said, and you actually said it earlier on this uh, on this podcast. You said that it was the sports influence, and you kind of like in a way based Hercules off of like the biggest sports figure during that time, which was Michael Jordan. Hence the Michael Jordan references and all those things. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, have and you, uh, have you seen the live action like the the play version of this? You know, they've taken it on stage now. Mm -hmm. I saw it last year at Paper Mill. And my friend Michael Kosrin is musically directed. He just flew to Hamburg this week. They're doing it in Germany. So my friend Brad Gibson played Hercules. Mm. Um, and he's he a black a, man, right? Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yes. I yes. love it. I love it. <laughs> but it's supposed to be. Oh. I absolutely love it. I just, I just love how like Hercules may not. Hercules is not created specifically based on like you know, the African-American experience. But, like, even, like, growing up, there was still something in me that, again, looking up to Michael Jordan and, like, being a basketball fan as well, I saw those references. And I saw, you know, I didn't see, like, the old-time Hollywood characters because I wasn't into, like, that level of film yet. But just, like, in pop culture, I was like, Hercules is Michael Jordan. And I look up to Michael Jordan. And Michael Jordan is, like, you know, the pinnacle at the time of black success. So it was just really cool, like, that all of these things were coming together to create a film that is just like an amalgamation of Disney magic, pop culture history, old, like old Hollywood. It's, it's incredible. You know, Eric is part of the history of that I mean, storytelling. Mm -hmm. I would say with, with your work with Robin Williams and the genie, Disney used to be really scared to be topical in the mm. time period that the movie came out because they felt like then it wouldn't be a timeless movie if the references were too current. And that all changed with you and Robin Williams, Eric, with the genie where there's no stopping Robin Williams. Right, right. He's right. Gonna, you he's you're not, just got to let him go. Absolutely not. <laughs> would you want to? You got to let that well, man go. Hercules, um, as a consequence to that, a positive consequence, wasn't afraid of being contemporary and it's proven now that it is still timeless, even though there's the joke, like, every boy is named Jason and every girl is named Brittany, mm. which isn't true today, mm. but we get it. We still get what that joke means. And yeah. and the air hercs and the merchandise and I'm an action figure and, <laughs> like, all this stuff that was so 90s, um, it doesn't matter. It was funny, and it's still funny. Mm. I'll tell you. I'll tell you one thing that never scared John and Ron about that contemporary thing is because they are both cartoon geeks like mm. I am and like many of us are. And we used to think of the old Warner Brothers cartoons that referenced, you know, yeah. 
Greta Garbo or or Clark Gable or various references, and it kind of made a time capsule. But you can still watch those cartoons seventy years on mm -hmm. and enjoy them. And and I don't think Hercules or Aladdin is any different. We we kind of consciously made it in that same vein of. You know, even if it does become a time capsule, people are going to be interested to yeah. go back. And some people may not know who Ed Sullivan is. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so they'll go back and find out who he is. Right. Uh, and I think the same thing. And it's like you're saying with Barbara Stanwyck, you know, as a basis for Meg, you know. I, I would like to think that some people after watching you and Hercules will go watch a Barbara Stanwyck movie. Yeah. I think that yeah. would be great. Yes, it's a good one. Oh, that's a wreck. I hear that. That's a wreck. Is that your wreck? <laughs> that's your movie wreck. Uh, the, Eric, can I, can I ask you something about the genie? Because, you know, you being like a, a the lead animator on this, I absolutely love the moment where genie turns into Jack Nicholson. And Robert Williams' voice performance in that moment is like hilarious how he goes, here's the deal. You got to do this. You got to do that. You got it. Like, can you, can you talk about like, I'm not going to say reigning in, but just like the the chaos that is, the beautiful chaos that is Robin Williams and kind of like working with him as you're animating this iconic character. Well, the thing is, you know, it was really a lot of fun to have the genie turn into these different icons and characters uh and when john and ron first wrote the script he, he turned into archetypes he was a game show host mm -hmm. he was an evangelist he was an army <laughs> sergeant you know but once we got robin in the booth out came all the celebrity impressions and once they kind of scraped us up off the floor with a spatula we we went back to burbank <laughs> and said we can't not use this stuff right and, you know, as far as the Jack Nicholson was concerned, you know, that was actually animated by one of my animators, a guy named uh, Joe Hadar. And John himself did the Nicholson caricature that he that he animated. Really? Uh, yeah. I see. It's a very collaborative medium. Mm -hmm. I did most to the caricature that the genie turns into. But every now and again, John Musker, who is a great caricaturist in his own right, he's absolutely terrific at it. Um, you know, he nailed the Jack Nicholson. And was like, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I did the Rodney Dangerfield, all right? I did the SLA. You but, get some credit there. <laughs> did you ever, like, get any calls but, from Jack? You know, it, it's, of that? it's the kind of thing where it was – one thing that was really fun about that, and you kind of touched on it as as you just kind of mimed the Jack Nicholson line, is that the body movements change based on the character. For every iteration the genie has, if he's going to be Groucho, he better walk like Groucho. <laughs> you know, if he's going to be Ed Sullivan, he better put one arm over here. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> and twirl himself around on the stage. And that was that was fun. That was just great figuring out the kind of movement that the genie would have when he became these various characters. Mm. Um, and uh, the toughest part that, you know, uh, was actually making people believe the genie could be sincere because he was bouncing off the walls all the yeah, time. But yeah. you had to believe at the end of the film that he and Aladdin were giving something up, you know, by 
my parting ways. And so, you know, I often get cast on sidekick characters, but I think that the sidekick characters have a wide range yes. of emotions, sometimes wider than the other characters in the film, mm -hmm. because all the sidekicks are carrying a lot of the comedy, but you have have to believe that they care about the main character. Absolutely. You know, you have to believe that that they are invested in that character that 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 you're invested in. Mm -hmm. uh, usually, like when it comes to Disney films, like you know, I it's funny you say sidekick because sidekick always implies like to the side, right? They're they're the supporting player. But when it comes to Disney animated films, I look at it as three pillars. You have the hero or the heroine, which, you know, a lot of times it's the same thing, right? Or, and you have the sidekick. And a lot of people are looking at the sidekick on the same level as the hero. Like, they, it, to them and to me, sure. they're just as important to the, everything, right? And you have the iconic sidekick list. I mean, you have Abu, you have T Timon and Pumbaa, you have uh, Mushu, and to a lesser, like uh, uh, the, the cricket, I can't remember his name. But these sidekick characters can make or break the film. And so the, the fact that we get Abu and Diago on both sides, as well as Genie, like these are like, you could make arguments that they're in your top 10, each one of them of Disney sidekicks. So it's it's really cool that uh, that hearing you talk about, they're not just sidekicks. Like they're not just the ones who bring comic relief, but a lot of times they bring some of the, like either the saddest stories of all. Sometimes they bring... Like a different, they bring out the different side of the character. Like seeing Genie hug Aladdin because he's so grateful that he gets to be free. Like mm -hmm. that longing for freedom is just as important to the film as Aladdin just trying to get the girl, right? So I, I, I really uh, appreciate this love for sidekicks that Disney has given. Mm, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. They're the metric, they're the ones who you know, help them along the way. Go ahead, Eric. There's a couple of. I was going to say there's a couple of, of instances in Hercules where Phil has to show some range. You know, the first one is when Hercules doesn't believe Phil's trying to tell him that Meg is oh, too time. The all-time chump. And, and <laughs> knocks him into the frame. And Danny put down a lot of different takes on that. Ah, phooey, I'm getting out of here. You know, but we chose the one where he shrunk down. Mm. Normally, you see him blowing a gasket. But in this case, because he was so angry, he was containing it. Okay, I'm out of here. Mm. You know, and that's the take that we yeah, that's used in the right. film yeah. to show how. Yeah, I still and, remember that line. To and this likewise, day. at the end, when it looks like Meg is, you know, when when it looks like Meg is dying, and Hercules arrives and fills there, and all he has to do is turn his head and just kind of shake his head sadly, mm. like she's gone. You know, th that's what I mean. That these characters have a lot of range to them. You're not, right. you know, I love the comic relief and I love actually making people laugh. But it's, it's great. That, yeah. that other side of the character, I think, is is just as important. Yeah, I, I still remember the line that Phil says when he gets knocked over and he says, I thought you were going to be the all time it's, it's champ. What helps amplify not the, the all time part, champ. You know what I mean? It's Hercules' desire make phil proud and you have to believe that relationship between phil um and you have to understand phil's background and feel for phil 
so that we understand why Hercules wants to make him proud and, you know, see him in the stars, you know? Um, those relationships mm -hmm. are integral. We, we had to edit one of Danny's lines so there, but... <laughs> yeah. one, one second, guys. I feel like, I feel like yeah, somebody maybe, knocked yeah. at a door. Okay. One I'm sorry. Just... It felt inside the house, so I'm kind of terrified. One second. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I didn't want to scare you. That's why I texted you. Okay. Hi. I'm so sorry. Oh. I'm so sorry, Yes. That's okay. That's why I texted you and said, I don't know the podcast. That's what I was telling him. I'm so sorry. I texted you and said, I don't want to scare you. It's okay. The chase guy is here to measure the, the room sizes and take the pictures. about Hercules really yeah <laughs> so would you like to meet Susan Egan and Eric Goldberg <laughs> hi Susan Egan and Eric Goldberg this is my landlord Evan everyone <laughs> I apologize for the interruption hey I know he froze yeah I'm it, managing children over here who just uh, got home from school it's not <laughs> ah okay <laughs> so so it's to be in 20 places at once so Evan like texted me that uh, he was bringing someone in to take photos of the area, and um, I didn't. I, I don't have my phone with me because you know I'm focused on this. And so he obviously has a key into the house. So when he knocked on the door, I was like, "What's happening?" No. <laughs> He's getting a picture. All right, thank you. All right, let me close the door once. That's okay. So sorry about that. That was <laughs> nice little blooper for the podcast there. That's okay. <laughs> All right, where were we? <laughs> but uh, um, but yeah. yeah, I think I think the importance of the relationship of, of Phil and Herc. It's what Hercules wanting to make Phil proud is so integral to the to the storyline absolutely like that relationship between them. and that only can happen authentically if we care about phil's backstory right right and all the all the failures you know <laughs> that happened before can, can i tell you um, can i tell you yeah. like the moment the moment you were, you were, you were so right look the moment never fails never fails to make me cry every single time is at the end of the movie when the song of stars born is being played and we see hercules's portrait being made in the stars and phil looks up and his eyes get so wide and the one dream that he's always wanted was for someone to look up and say that's phil's boy and when the guy says it 
and the little tear comes out of his eye. I swear to you, that makes me weep every single time. Every single time. You have to earn that moment. Yes. And the fact that it makes you weep, like, is because through the two hours of this movie, they've earned it. Like, they've mm. earned your trust. They've earned that backstory. They've earned the moment. Yeah. And that's because of you, Eric. Yeah. And Danny. You did that. And John and Ron, You did that. You know? <laughs> But I mean, everybody earns their moments in this in this film. I mm -hmm. actually use Phil and Meg when I teach animation classes, and I talk about what you just brought up, Susan, which is backstory. You know, they're interesting characters because they have this backstory. You know, Meg has been hurt in love before, so mm -hmm. she's got this shield of one-liners, you know, as her defense mechanism. And it takes Hercules to make her vulnerable again. And and Phil fills a washout. He's given up, you know, and it takes Hercules to let him drop his guard one more time, mm -hmm. you know. And it sounds lofty for what people would consider a broad cartoon comedy from Disney, but it is absolutely the case. We yeah. care about these characters and, and we want the audiences to care about the characters. Yeah. And they're so relatable because they're flawed and mm. because they have that baggage um, that maybe that's why people, you know, feel a kinship to, to those two characters. Yeah, absolutely. Know? And like, just he's like, the... He's too perfect, but everybody feels like Meg and Phil. <laughs> like no, I know I, I know I felt like like Phil a couple times. Yeah. <laughs> I, I also want to like dive deep into that that moment. Uh something that I noticed because I there's a lot of pieces that go into it. Obviously the backstory gets into it. Then there's the payoff of him finally getting that dream. But also as I mentioned the song um A Star is Born is playing and that moment happens when the line, the lyric says so don't lose hope when you're forlorn. And that just, it gets me. It's like the perfect recipe, the mixture that just gives you all the emotion that you need out of it. And every time I hear that song in a vacuum, like when I'm in the car and I'm listening to that song, I hear that line. And the first thing that pops into my mind is Phil's tear. And the guy saying, that's Phil's boy. And I start getting it all over again. <laughs> Right, That's just great. get out for five more minutes. Just, just give it a moment. Give it time. Don't, yeah. Yeah, it's it's beautiful. Like this, 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 this is like, like again, it's my favorite movie in Disney. Period. And the fact that you two got to work on it, the fact that you two made it what it was, like I'm just honestly honored to be sitting here talking to you about it and finding out all these new tidbits, these new information that gives me even more love for it. It's 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 incredible. It's fun to think about the five-year-old boy who saw the movie that now I'm having a conversation with. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Leading to this like, moment. There was somebody out there that was watching this work that we loved, that we put our hearts into, and it mattered. Mm. And now you are who you are, and we get to talk with you about it. And it's like, wow. That's I love the universe. This is the, it's, it's honestly it's honestly great, and so I just want to say thank you, Susan, and thank you, Eric, for just being a part of it. It's incredible. Thank you so much, Eric. It's such a joy as always. Thank you.
I also want so as you know, this is a podcast called Get Wrecked with Stride Goofy, where like I talk with my friends who make movies and movies make them uh, have like movie recommendations. And so like I have like two things to say. Uh, one, Susan, I was looking up your filmography and Blast from the Past, and a lot of people won't know this. You were in a very like cool Disney Channel original movie called Gotta Kick It Up. And which starred America Ferreira, who is yeah. currently nominated for an Oscar for being in the Barbie movie. Yeah. Like, can you talk a little bit about just yeah. so that? All the girls were wonderful. So I play this, it's such a sort of like, I don't know, like talk about a trope that maybe shouldn't be resurrected. <laughs> you know, a white teacher that comes in and helps the Latino girls. Like, it's awful. Right? <laughs> okay. But... But I did love these young women. Like, we had a great time on set. But they're all, like, teenage goofballs. Mm -hmm. And then there was America, who's, like, in the corner doing her calculus homework. And I would, like, I was the math scholarship girl in college. So, like, I'd go check out, see what's going on with America. Also overlooked by our director in a really derogatory way. Mm -hmm. And I just remember mm -hmm. watching this going, he's missing, he's missing the whole point that this is the girl that's the magic like wow right i am watching in real time this guy miss it and and then she goes on to do ugly betty and uh, you know and then everything from there it's like and now to hear her speak so eloquently mm -hmm. and to um create a space um for women for equality for all kinds of things like she's so smart <laughs> she was always that she was like that at 18 which is how mm -hmm. old she was when we movie and so like i say it's a joy to watch this generation grow up and take the reins and do it with such poise yeah and intelligence and intention yeah that's incredible that's that's really incredible yeah. I, I found it hilarious when i was like oh my god she's nominated for an oscar susan you were in a movie with her like all those years ago so i just really wanted to pick your brain on that now speaking of movies i have a question for the both of you and I think this would be a lot of fun because the reason why I started this podcast in the first place is because I feel like movies, as it did with us right now, it connects us, right? It like teaches us a lot about who we are as people. And so I like to ask my guests, do you have a movie recommendation that is your favorite movie of all time? That one movie that altered your brain chemistry that kind of like got you to where you are today. And if you have that movie, I would love to know that. Eric, what's yours? Well, I would have to say Dumbo. Mm. Dumbo is my favorite Disney movie um, for a lot of reasons. First of all, it's very short. Yes. I think it's like the shortest Disney movie it's ever. Right? A little over an hour's run. But it's got so much packed into it. Mm. And it's got uh, emotion. It's got comedy. It's got surrealism in Pink Elephants on Parade. But... There are certain things that you just can't take away from, from it, like that relationship between Dumbo mm. and his mom mm -hmm. when she goes to visit him, visit her, you know, and she's locked in the cage. That's always a tearjerker from almost everybody who watches that film. And, you know, I think there's also some very cool, subtle messages in Dumbo um, because they're really talking about outcasts they're yeah. talking about people who you know are 
not normal, you know, and mm. the matron elephants say things like that. Like, well, I wouldn't eat at the same bale of hay as him, you know, yeah. uh, and things like that. Yeah. And, and and the little F-R-E-A-K. And it's like, you're, you're talking about racism. Yeah. And that's pretty heady for, you know, a, a 1941 film from Disney. Uh, back when racism I, I was like the thing. It was all the rage back then. <laughs> yeah. But it was, it's, it's a kind of thing where that really sticks with me. The other film that I would say, and actually has a bearing on Hercules, was Snow White and the Seven Dwarves, and particularly Grumpy. And I thought a lot about Grumpy when I was animating Phil, you know, mm -hmm. uh, because they're both animated grouches. <laughs> I can see it. <laughs> and you have to show that in all of their body movement, you know. Mm. That's great. That and, you know, is considered a watershed in Snow White when Grumpy finally melted. You know, he put on mm -hmm. that that grumpy act, but he actually did care for her, you know. And right. uh, and again, that gives the character range that you might not expect. And I think I think. Uh, grumpy was a good yardstick for me on Phil. That's good. Yeah, that's I, I love that. It goes to to story, right? It's that story, no matter what the medium is. We were talking about this earlier before we were recording. Um, you were talking about seeing a poster of Up. Yeah. And I think Up for me is still, and I think it also matters like when you see something and when it, you know, my mother had just passed away. My mm. nephew is a young little Asian boy. My dad's the same age as Mr. Fredrickson. Really? So just <laughs> come together. And that whole section with Ellie and and Carl when they're young mm -hmm. and their whole life five minutes with no dialogue mm -hmm. like is it's a ballet like it's beautiful image storytelling mm -hmm. it's film at its finest right because film ultimately is a visual art form and of course it struck me because like I was watching something that was so um, representative of my life, right? Right. Um, of what I was seeing in my own world, but I, I do absolutely love that movie. And then there's this goofy movie that like <laughs> comes to me all the time. If somebody says, "What's my favorite film?" and it's the film that I can recite from the beginning to the end, and it's Princess Bride. Oh. And I don't even know. Oh. Princess Bride is great. Oh. <laughs> like the relationship between Peter Falk and um and you know, telling this story to his mm -hmm. grandchild who kind of is dismissive, but then gets sucked into the story and wants him to read another chapter and another chapter and right, another right. chapter. And the way Peter Paul sings it so perfectly, like, well, I mean, I won't have to read it. No, 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 Grandpa. Come. And the <laughs> magic of storytelling and books, right? right? And then just the, the perfection of every performance from Mandy Patinkin to Christopher Guest to Robin Wright to Andre the Giant to, mm. you know, I, I mean, literally everybody. It was just masterpiece after masterpiece of like marriage. Like, I mean, every <laughs> single thing, you know, welcome to the pit of despair. I mean, like everything <laughs> is so ridiculous, but everybody was so in the same movie. Everybody mm. went there and committed and that's the movie that if you're having a bad day, like it will never stop 
lightening my heart. Yeah. Do you know? Yeah. I, I love that you said Princess Bride because now I get to share something with you that, and please don't, don't not be my friend because of this. I didn't like Princess Bride. Uh, okay. And I tried it. I, I really did. I watched it like three times in my life. And I like everyone loves it. And I keep going, what do people love so much about this movie? And don't get me wrong. I get a lot of it. Like I like the, there's some lines that are so iconic. Anigo Montoya is great. I love yeah. the the whimsy. I love like, you know, just the overall swashbuckling adventure type stuff. But then like I'm just kind of like I'm not feeling it. Like well, I, mean, I feel like there's something wrong with me when I'm just like, no, no, what's no, going on? About it. But see, that's the great thing about art and storytelling too. Like maybe it was the age I was when I saw it the first time. Mm -hmm. Maybe that was the style in the late '80s of mm -hmm. comedy. Like, like I recently watched Airplane again, thinking, "Oh God, that was such a great movie." Right. Way before your time. Um, I love it. And Airplane. I'm like, that doesn't make me laugh in the same way anymore. Right. 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 <laughs> Now. Yeah, um, yeah. But that's why there's, you know, I, I joke. That's why there's 31 flavors of ice cream. There's far more, obviously. But right. not everything is supposed to hit everybody at the same at the same absolutely place, same level. You know, absolutely. Um, I get that. Uh, yeah. There's there's two things I want to get into before uh, we end this uh, podcast. And Susan, you were telling me that um, "Won't Say I'm in Love" wasn't the song that Meg was supposed to sing. Now. Yeah. Now, that is an iconic song. Like, I know people where every time we go out to karaoke, that is the go-to song, and everyone's singing along. So the, to hear that that song wasn't supposed to be in the movie, it's kind of shocking to me. What was actually supposed to happen? That's a good example of um, sometimes when things aren't working, it's for the best, mm -hmm. right? Because we wouldn't have that song. And it right. is the right song, and it's a great song. It's and a great song. Thank you, Alan Macon, right? And David Zippel, because lyrics are also great. Um, no, Alan writes Alan's songs. And as soon as I got Hercules, I was so excited because I was going to get that big soaring ballad solo mm -hmm. that Jody Benson has and Paige O'Hara has and Leia Salonga has. And I'm like, woohoo, now Susan's <laughs> going to have that song. And he wrote it and it was called I Can't Believe My Heart. And it was this beautiful soaring ballad about, wow, I can't believe my heart has fallen for this guy. And Ken started animating it. And it wasn't working. And mm. John and Ron were like, why isn't this working? And Alan's like, I like this. I'm like, it's a good song. It was a good song. Mm. And Ken was like, guys, Meg would never in a million years <laughs> sing a soaring ballad love song. And it was like, duh. Of yeah, course she yeah. would. He's the queen of denial. You know? And so she got this song, which, which I call a duet. It's mm. a duet between Meg and the muses. And it's an argument that mm -hmm. they win. Mm -hmm. They're like, girl, yeah, we're not <laughs> buying it. You're not a very good actor. Like, <laughs> you swoon, you sigh. You Why it, deny it? You know? Uh-uh. <laughs> yeah. And, and, they, and they win. At the end, she's like, okay, at least out loud, I won't say it. You know, and then she kind of mm. like says it, right? Yeah, while they shoot um, it, shoot it, And that shoot. is, I think, maybe. It's a bop, right? It's a bop. It's a, it's a bop. It, it was meant to be a 60s girls tune. It was meant to be everything that is. That bubblegum, my boyfriend's back. You know, like mm -hmm. that thing um, that Alan writes really well. But I think it was the denial aspect that people were like, I love a love song about denial. Mm -hmm. Like, there's not a lot of those. Mm -hmm. And we've all been through that of like, nah. 
Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah I've been the there. other song had an intro that I really liked that was, I've always thought that men were slime. And I really liked that line. Oh, nice. <laughs> <laughs> you know, maybe there should be like a, a like a, a leak of that song. I feel like that'll be a lot of people's like karaoke song. It. It, Like if people want to just go listen to it for free on, on the YouTube, it's called, I can't believe my heart. I recorded it on one of my albums. And it is a really good Alan Menken song. And I'm really glad it's not in the movie because it had to be, I won't say. Right. Okay. Okay. So for everyone listening, you know where to find it. Do it. Make, do, do the research. We we got this. I I really want to hear this now. Uh, Okay. That's great. Thank you for that. Now. Also I have, before we go, I have an invitation for the both of you. Uh, Have you ever been to a little bar called scum and villainy? Okay, now you've been talking. No. About okay. But I need more information. Okay. What is this place? So, Eric, before the call, me and Susan were talking about like karaoke and how we should do karaoke sometime. And I'm like, no, let's get Eric to come with us too. And every Thursday, I there's this little bar called Scum and Villainy. It's in Hollywood off of Hollywood Boulevard near, I want to say it's not, it's near Highland, but it's not on Highland. Anyway, we'll get there. <laughs> Scum and Villainy is a Star Wars themed bar. That looks like the cantina from Star Wars A New Hope. And every okay. Thursday. You okay. Yes. I'm a total Star Wars nerd. Well, then wow. you'll be happy there. Every Thursday uh, and every other Monday, they do karaoke nights. And everyone who frequents that bar are huge Disney fans anyway. So a lot of times you get a lot of Disney songs and everyone sings along. And it's absolutely great. Mind-blowing. I absolutely love going there all the time. And uh, a lot of the Star Wars cast, whenever there's like a Star Wars premiere during like that, like in Hollywood, they kind of have the recaps there uh, just to hang out. So Scum and Villainy, we should all go on Sunday. Let's start a group chat and we could sing I Won't Say I'm In Love. And we could also sing uh, I, I Won't Believe My Heart as well. Sounds good. And Eric, just for you, <laughs> like I also I also would love to sing um, a Phil song as well. I give enough hope that no one would come along. <laughs> that someone would ring the bell for once, not the gong. I think that's all I can sing before before we get hit with the copyright. <laughs> Sounds like I a good it. time. Well, I need to hear you sing Go the Distance because I know that's your karaoke go-to. That is my favorite Disney song of all time. And it's my definitely my karaoke go-to. So I will definitely do that for you. And I will wear this shirt. I will wear this pullover. I will go get my Meg t-shirts. I, I, friends keep buying them, so I do have a really good pile of them. So, yeah, I'll, I'll put on a Meg shirt. Eric, you got your Phil shirt. We're, we'll meet there. Yep. Okay, we'll that go, sounds good. Sounds good. We'll eat some tubaca or, like, some, you know, a Greek salad. All right, let's get on the calendar. Let's get, it, let's get this on the calendar. <laughs> we'll book it. <laughs> All right, everybody, that is it for this week's episode of Get Wrecked with Straw Hat Goofy. Once again, I'm here with Susan Egan and Eric Goldberg, legends in the Disney movie-making community. I really thank you so much for listening. Susan, Eric, thank you so much for coming. Thank you so much for having us. <laughs> no, of course. Yes, thank you. Of course, fun. of course. It was fun. We should do this again sometime. Talk about some more like Disney classics. It's just other movies that you guys are into. I would love to hear all about it. I'm there. <laughs> Let's do it. 
all right guys thank you so much for watching make sure you leave a comment like make sure like what was the best part of this entire podcast to you leave a comment down below and if you're watching this on youtube make sure you hit subscribe make sure you hit the like and hit the bell to get notifications for other videos you guys have a great day and we will see you next time when we talk about the next movie